Hello and welcome to the PTP Podcast. Hey, and welcome back to the Polishing the Pulpit Podcast. I'm your host, Wes Blankenship. First things first, we are very sorry for the delay in recent episodes. We have been very busy getting things ready for PTP 2019. The tentative schedule is now available and has over 700 classes for you to look over. We have begun working on the printed schedule, and once it's finished, we'll begin working on the app. Most importantly, registration is now open. Hurry, be sure to register by July 12th to receive the early bird tuition rate of $225 per adult. You can view the tentative schedule and register at polishingthepulpit.com. This week's study is with Brother Melvin Ote, a professor at the Jones School of Law at Faulkner University. He gave this talk at PTP 2018, and he is scheduled to speak multiple times at this year's conference. Let's study. We've been asked to think together about eternity. And the title that we have is Eternity 101, The Final Exam. When I saw this title, I immediately began to think about my law school exams. You know, law school has just begun. Uh, just last week, we begun our classes again. And when I, when I have a new group of students, I always tell them in the very first class, there's going to be a final examination at the end. And you know, that awareness about the final examination, it sort of colors everything that we do in the class. There is an expectation of examination in the law school classroom. You know, sometimes people come into the classroom and they don't know exactly what to expect. And so I tell them, listen, in order for you to be successful in my classroom, in order for you to be successful in your work, in order for you to be successful in your life, you need to start with the end and work your way back to the beginning. You need to understand what is expected of you in the end, and that will drive how you prepare yourself each and every day, each and every class, each and every week in my, cor- in my course. You need to start with the end, and that'll inform how you proceed every day. And so everyone knows that an exam is coming. Everyone has an awareness of what is to be expected. That recognition hangs over them and it hangs over me during the entire time. It creates some anxiety, that examination. I mean, when you start the first day, the examination is months away, but students start worrying the very first day because they know that everything rises and falls in my class on the examination. Last week, I had a student thank me because I agreed to give a midterm examination for no credit. When is the last time you had a student say thank you for giving me a practice test? But you see, she understood that everything is going to rise and fall on the final exam. And she said to me, I'm thankful that I'll get an opportunity to see where I am before the end. The specter of the final exam hangs over everyone during the entire course. 
So the things that I do every class, the things that I say every week, those things only make sense to the students when they keep in mind that there's going to be a final examination. For instance, I give more reading than some of the other professors. I tend to be a little bit more demanding, perhaps, than some of my colleagues, and my students will tell me that. And so they'll ask me, they'll say, listen, Professor Ote, why do we have to read 40 or 50 pages over the next two days? And then I will say to them, because everything in those 40 to 50 pages will be on your final exam. And they say, OK, thank you. Sometimes a student will suggest to me, you know, it's really nice outside. Why don't we cancel class today? And then I'll say to them, listen, we don't have to meet. But whether we meet and cover this material together or not, it will be on your final exam. Never mind. That's OK. Let's go ahead and meet. I require my students to answer practice questions. I require them to stop periodically during the semester and synthesize material, to attempt to apply the concepts that we have been studying. And not everyone does that. And I'll have a student every now and again say, this is a lot of work. You know, we have other classes. Why do we have to do this? And then I will say to them, listen, because on the final examination, I expect you to have mastery of this material. I expect you to commit it to your mind. And without the aid of a textbook, without the aid of a note card, I expect you to have perfect recall and to apply it when I call you to do so. So I'm telling you, you need to start now mastering the material and learning how to apply it. And students will tell me, thank you for not hiding the ball. We know exactly what to expect. You see, sometimes people will have consternation. People will complain about doing certain things. But when they understand that the things you're being called upon to do this day, this week, this month, all of it will be necessary to be prepared for the final examination. Instead of complaining, they will turn around and thank you. The final examination, it colors everything that we do. I know all academic settings are not the same, but you know, in a law school classroom, typically a student's grade is based entirely on the final examination, 100%. I mean, the students are expected to attend, and as a matter of fact, if they don't attend, they will lose some credit, but when they have perfect attendance, they get no credit at all for that. Students are expected to read. Students are expected to be prepared. I tell them, listen, every time I walk into this classroom, it is a professional environment and I'm prepared to be here and I expect you to be prepared to be here as well. Now, when they are prepared, they get no credit at all. But if they're unprepared, you see, they'll lose credit for that. A diligent student will attend and read and prepare because they understand that all of this is getting them ready for the final exam. Students who are not diligent, those who don't attend, those who don't read, listen, they always fail. Those who are diligent, they generally do very well. What I'm saying to you is the expectation of examination is a good thing. 
The expectation of examination helps the students to be astute. It helps them to be motivated on a daily basis. They know they'll be expected to produce a certain output in the end, and that gives them purpose this day in this class for this reading. Somebody said, listen, brother, that's a lot more than I want to know about a law school examination. I understand. But I think maybe you see already there are a lot of parallels between my law school examinations and the spiritual examination that all of us have to anticipate dealing with one day. See, here's the deal. There's no secret. You and I knew the first day that there would be a final examination. The Bible tells us it's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment, Hebrews 9 and verse number 27. You and I know that the judgment is coming. Listen, every one of us has to face the judgment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 10, we must all be made manifest before the throne of Jesus Christ before his judgment seat, that each one of us may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether it be good or bad. Every one of us has to appear before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Listen, you know and I know the examination is coming. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the Bible says God is going to bring every one of our works into judgment, whether it is good or evil. So there's a specter of an examination and we all know it's coming. That ought to give us some purpose, shouldn't it, on a daily basis? I mean, that ought to help us. It ought to drive us. Just like my students don't get any particular credit for showing up to class, we don't get any particular credit for showing up to the assembly. But you know what? We might lose credit if we're not there. And we might miss out on the preparation we need for the final examination because everything that's covered will be on the test. Just like my students don't get any particular accolades, they don't receive any reward for doing their daily reading. Guess what? We don't get any particular reward for doing our daily reading, but we do our daily reading because we know it will prepare us for the final exam. No one is uh, hiding the ball about the subject matter of the final examination. That's one of the compliments my students sometimes give me. Boy, we thank you because you're just so clear. You tell us exactly what you're going to test us on. And I tell them, listen, I'm not here to trick you. I'm here to prepare you. I'm telling you exactly what you need to know. You know, God has told us exactly what we need to know for the final exam. In John chapter 12 and verse number 48, Jesus says, He that rejects me and receives not my sayings has one that judges him. The word that I spake, the same shall judge him in the last day. Question, what do I need to know in order to do well on the final spiritual examination? Every word that Jesus said directly or indirectly is going to be on the test. I tell you, there are... Uh, there are a lot of parallels between an academic exam and a, and a spiritual exam. Sometimes, though, I find that uh, academic students, they take the specter of examination a little more seriously than spiritual students, sometimes. 
Because we know that the exam is coming, people should be consumed with learning, mastering the material. They know they need to apply so they can do well when the examination comes. We do all that we can to master the law of Christ. We have a greater motivation to master it than any law student has to master the law of men. And I tell you what, our pursuit of the mastery should reflect the greater importance of our undertaking, the expectation of examination. I'd like to think with you about the essentials about eternity. You know that title, Eternity 101, that also puts me in an academic frame of mind. You know, when you, you go to undergraduate and you enroll in those classes during your first year, they'll tell you you have to take Psychology 101 or Philosophy 101 or some kind of mathematics, an introductory course, and they might call that 101. I mean, why do they do that? That appendage 101 tells you that this is an entry level course. It is a course that deals with the basics, the fundamentals. Now, you can keep going into more complicated and sophisticated matters, but you first have to start right down here with the basics. Eternity 101. I want to deal with some basic things about eternity. I know there are some, some complicated things, there are some weightier things, there may be some more difficult things, but, but I want us to think about these basic introductory things. Imagine you're in a classroom taking an introductory course about, about eternity. You might want to know what eternity is. You know, a lot of times people think of eternity as endless time. You know, time just goes on and on and on and on. But, but eternity is not endless time. As a matter of fact, eternity supersedes time. It is outside of time. You can't measure eternity with time because eternity supersedes time. Time began with creation. I know that. I, I open my Bible and it tells me the evening and the morning were the first day. And there was another evening and another morning and that was the second day. And I have in my Bible in the very first chapter a chronicle of the first week. That's the beginning of time. Question, what was the state of affairs before the first day. There was existence before the first day. The Bible says, God said, let us create man in our own image. What was the state of affairs before that first day? Eternity. An existence outside of time, an existence that supersedes time. Listen, the Bible tells us that time began when God created the universe. The Bible tells us that he put the stars into the sky for our benefit. And so this, these stars, the sun and the moon, he says, are the greater and lesser lights to rule the night, the daytime and the night. And the other stars, he said, are for signs and seasons for days for years. See, God created all of that for our benefit. He didn't need that. And so I can see when time began. But I also know that time is going to end. The Bible says these are the last days. Second Timothy 3 and verse 1, 
And you remember Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The Bible tells us that God had in sundry times and in diverse manners spoken unto the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken unto us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Listen to it. I can see in my Bible when time began. And my Bible tells me that time is going to end. What is eternity? It is the state of affairs outside of time. It supersedes time. Who is in eternity? In Romans 16 and verse 26, the Bible tells me that the God is eternal. In Psalm 90 and verse number two, listen to it. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. In Genesis 21 and verse number 33, the Bible calls Jehovah the everlasting God. Everlasting, not long lasting, not really long lasting, everlasting. The Father is eternal. The Bible tells me that the Son is eternal as well. You remember in Isaiah 9 and verse number 6, you know, the Bible says unto us, a son, a child is born unto us, a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. That's my Lord Jesus Christ Isaiah is talking about. Jesus himself said in John chapter 8 and verse number 58, I say to you, before Abraham was, listen to his language, I am. You know, that language is important. It, when God sends Moses to speak with Israel, when he sends Moses to speak to Pharaoh and he says, listen, who, who should I say has sent me? He says, you tell them that I am has sent you. And what does that mean? What does that mean? There just has never been a state of affairs where Jehovah did not exist. Before time began, Jehovah is. You see, he doesn't have to use language that says, well, I was then or I will be later. Listen, the state of affairs for God is that he is. And Jesus says, before Abraham was, you see, he can make a reference to time when he wants to, I am. What does that mean? I tell you what, the Jews, the Jews knew what it meant because in the next verse, verse 49, the Bible says they took up stones. They were going to put Jesus to death. They understood that to be a claim of his deity. He was saying he exists outside of time. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is eternal. Who is in eternity? I know the Father is there. I, I know the Son is there. I know the Spirit of God, the Bible calls the eternal Spirit, exists outside of time. Listen to me. Listen to me. There is a sense in which we are eternal. 
See, we're created in God's image. We, we certainly do have a beginning. I mean, most of us can pinpoint the day and the time in which we came into the world and some nine months before that we came into existence. I mean, it's not as if we are from everlasting to everlasting, but having been created in the image of God, there is a part of us that will not cease when time ends. These are the last days, but when time is all over, there will be a part of me that continues on outside of time. A part of you that continues on outside of time. You know this. In Luke 16, we read about Lazarus and the rich man, and we see that when they lay the body down, they continue to exist. You know this. When we read about the Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, we see two men that had long ago died, Elijah and Moses, and they appear to Jesus. Though they have laid the body down, they continue to exist beyond death. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, he's got these two malefactors on either side of him, these two thieves, robbers, bandits, ne'er-do-wells. One of them repents and Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Well, that man was going to die that day, but he was going to continue to exist outside of his mortal body. I'll say more about that in just a moment. When is eternity? Eternity is right now for the heavenly beings. God still exists outside of time. He is not bound by time. God doesn't see things the way we see things. You know, the Bible says that one day for him is like a thousand years. I mean, listen, that's not saying that that's literally the case. It's just that God is not bound by time. He's outside of time right now. So when is eternity? For God, it's eternity right now. You and I will be ushered into eternity. Certainly when Jesus comes again. When time is no more, these last days are coming to an end. And when they all draw down, you and I will be ushered into eternity. Question. Why is eternity? There was existence before the creation of the universe in time. There will be existence after the end of this universe and time. And the Bible tells us that this earth, the Bible tells us that this physical creation is not going to exist forever. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us how God is going to deal with it. The first time he judged the world, he did so by water. And the Bible says, no, he won't do it that way again. But the next time he will do it with fire and fervent heat. All of this is going to have to come to a conclusion. But God created us to be the objects of his love beyond the existence of this physical planet. You see, God has bigger plans for us than the earth. This is a temporary abode. It is a temporary dwelling place. But God has plans for us that will outlive this planet. Why eternity? Because we are the objects of God's love and 
and he intends for us to be the object of his love longer than he intends to keep this planet around. Where is eternity? It's a good question. Eternity is not a place. I say eternity is a state of affairs that supersedes time. However, there are places associated with time. Time or with eternity. Eternity is not a place, but there are places associated with eternity. When we leave this place, we will go somewhere. But the place that we might go is not called eternity. Let me think with you for a moment about the essence of evaluation. I just want to come back to this idea of examination for one moment. When I give my students a final examination, there is a purpose for it. I give them a final examination to give them an opportunity to demonstrate that they have sufficiently mastered the material that we cover in the classroom. They know the information and they know how to apply it. The only way I can do that formally is to administer an examination. Now I do that in some ways in the classroom by asking questions and having dialogue with students. I do that in some informal ways when students come to my office and they may be struggling with a particular concept. I do that informally when I have them answering questions sometimes on a big screen in the classroom. But the only way I can make a genuine assessment about whether they have sufficiently mastered the material and they know how to apply it is by giving them a, a final examination. You know, I think this is a very similar situation. I didn't say it was exactly the same, but I think there's a very similar situation when it comes to a spiritual examination. What is the purpose of the evaluation? You know, the essence of the evaluation is that is that God is going to God is going to make an assessment about whether we have mastered the material and applied it appropriately. In my classroom, no one ever has to fail an examination. No one ever has to fail. I'll ask my students, you know, during that first class, who, who among you would like to get an A in my class? And they all raise their hands. And then I say, I wish you would all get A's, but you won't. And students are always concerned about a curve. You know, how does the curve work? Listen, you make the curve. If you all earned it, I would give you all A's. If you all earned passing grades, I would be happy to give you all passing grades. No one has to fail, but some of you will. Because some of you won't take the class and the preparation and the final exam seriously. Some of you will feel like you have something better to do than the reading. When the class time comes, some of you will feel like you have a better place to be. 
And then in the 36 hours before the exam is administered, your plan is to give me the best 36 hours of your life and it's too late. Nobody ever has to fail. But somebody always does. You know, I, I find some similarities. I, I find some similarities when it comes to the evaluation that we should expect spiritually. No one ever has to fail. The Bible tells me that God has made provision for everyone. He wants all men to come to repentance. He sent his son on behalf of all men. No one ever has to fail. But someone always does. Now we have to ask ourselves a question, why? You know, I tell my students, listen, you all have the same textbook. You have the same instructor. You're going to take the same test. If you don't do what you're supposed to do, you tell me whose fault that is. It's the same when it comes to the final spiritual examination. No one, no one ever has to fail. But most people, most people, Jesus says, they won't succeed. We've got to ask ourselves why. Same textbook. Same examination. Same instructor. Same judge. If somebody does not pass the test, why? They don't take it seriously. They, they, they have something better to do than the 30 or 40 pages of reading. You know, in law school, I give people 40 pages of reading, 50 pages of reading, and don't give it a second thought. You just have it ready two days from now. I don't give it a second thought. And they don't give it a second thought because they're serious about what they're doing. I tell you, if you tell some assemblies of Christians they need to read four or five pages a day. They look at you as if you have two heads. Don't you know that we have all of this other stuff to do? They don't take it seriously. I have classes with my students, each of the classes, two days a week. Students will sometimes come to me and say, this thing came up and this thing came up. And I say, listen, that's fine. I appreciate it as a professional courtesy that you let me know you won't be here. But you don't have to give account to me for your absence. You know, I'm going to keep on with the class and the material will be there. And I just hope that you get it. If you would prefer to go and do something else during our class time, you will have to deal with that on the final examination. It always works out. You know, but Christians... I figure some of the excuses that my students give me for missing a law school lecture, well, they just shouldn't be good enough for people who are preparing for the final spiritual examination, right? I mean, what, what in the world could be going on that you would prefer to miss an opportunity to be prepared for the judgment of your life? Because the evaluation is essentially going to be this. It will be pass or fail. The evaluation will essentially be this. No one has to fail, but someone will fail. And will you be the one who fails because you didn't take it seriously? 100%
of the grade is that final examination. No credit for showing up. No credit for cracking the textbook. You have to be able to demonstrate that you have mastered the material and you know how to apply it when called upon. Some just don't approach the preparation with sufficient sobriety to be successful. Some simply do not approach the undertaking with sufficient diligence to be successful. And whereas my students, if they do not pass my course, will sometimes be given a second chance to take the course. No second chances with the final spiritual examination. If you don't mind, turn to Matthew chapter 25. I just want you to see something here. The, the things that I've tried to present to you, these sort of introductory thoughts, I want you to see that these things kind of come together in a passage here in Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, you know that Jesus is talking about how things will be when he comes again. He's preparing his disciples for the end of time. And in Matthew 25, beginning at verse 31, listen to this. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the angels with him, then shall he sit on the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all the nations and he shall separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then shall the king say to them on the right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he says, you know, I was hungry and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me, he says. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you a thirst and give you drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took you in or naked and clothed you? When did we see you sick and in prison and take you and come to you? And the king said to him, listen. I say to you, inasmuch as you did it unto one of these, my brethren, even the least, you did it unto me. Now, what did he just say? What did he just say? There's going to be a final examination. When? When Jesus comes again. And when he comes again, he will have expected these people to have mastered his teachings and live out his teachings in an appropriate way. Why does there have to be an eternity? Jesus says in verse 34, listen, there was a place prepared for them before the foundation of the world. This is not an afterthought. This was God's plan from the beginning. He always intended to have relationship with his creation long after the earth is dead and gone. I think it interesting that he says all nations would have to appear before him. 
everybody, everybody will be subject to this final examination. If you will keep reading, of course, you know, he says that uh, there would be some who he says uh, would have to depart to his left hand and be cursed and they would have to go into eternal fire. He says that was prepared, too, for the devil and his angels, because all of the good things that those who were right, those who passed the evaluation, all the good things they had done, these people had failed to do. Then he says in verse 45. Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not unto one of these the least, you did it not unto me, and these shall go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Where is eternity? Well, I told you, eternity is not a place, but there are some places associated with, etern with eternity. And in one place, you get to experience eternal life. And a relationship with God that supersedes and transcends time. In another place, eternal destruction, eternal judgment, eternal condemnation. A state of affairs where you don't have a relationship with God. You're cut off from his favor not forever, but for eternity. Eternity 101, I mean, these are just the basics. That You know there's going to be a final examination. Question. Are you prepared for the final exam? Or are you ready right now for eternity? If Jesus should come right now and sit upon his throne, would he sift you to the right or the left? There's going to be an evaluation. Listen, this is this is pass or fail. Eternal life. Or eternal condemnation, are you prepared? For the final examination. I tell you what, if you're not. This is a perfect time to make ready. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song of invitation. We do this to make a space for you to make your way forward, to let us know how we can help you. If you stand in need of prayer, guess what? It'd be our privilege to pray with you. If you need something more than that, it would be our privilege to assist you in any way that you can, because this, this is the final examination, and it's everything. Thank you for listening. We would appreciate it if you would share this podcast with your friends and leave us a review on Apple iTunes or Google Play. For more PTP information, visit polishingthepulpit.com or search for Polishing the Pulpit on Facebook.